Welcome to the Heal and Grow Journey podcast. I'm Jennifer, your host, a mental health and wellness advocate, and a trauma survivor. This platform will be used to break the silence and create awareness around mental health in the Black community and in general for all people. My hope is that you will feel seen, heard, supported, and valued as we progress through the journey of healing and growing. Welcome back to the Heal and Grow Journey podcast. I am so happy to be back. I hope everything is well with everyone listening. Today is a really special day. I know by the time this episode is published, this time would have passed already, but the day that I'm recording this episode is the day that President Biden was elected and Kamala Harris is the VP elect. It's just a wonderful day. I mean, this is definitely a historic moment. I'm, you know, I'm glad for Biden. I did, you know, vote for him. I can say that publicly. I did vote for him and I'm I'm happy for him. But I am just really ecstatic for women, you know, in general. It's just a really historic moment for us to experience, you know, the first woman and then the first woman of color being elected to the White House. Kudos to Kamala Harris. And, you know, just I feel like all women should just pat themselves on the back because this is definitely progress for us. And we should not overlook that progress. You know, we all know what the struggle is as women and then another layer as women of color. So it's definitely a joyous moment that we will remember for a very long time. And as you know, the week leading up to today, oh my goodness, it's been a week. I mean, this election just took, it took a whole week. (laughs) It was a lot of ups and downs. Some nights I didn't sleep, stayed up all night, just glued to the TV. So it was an emotional roller coaster, most definitely. You know, people made their voices heard. You know, you got out there. you voted, you know, your voice was heard and the decision was made. So that's the most important thing. And I'm thankful for that. I also watched the speech that Biden gave tonight. And one of the things that resonated with me is that he said, it's a time to heal in America. And I just love the fact that he used the word heal. Obviously, this is the Heal and Grow Journey podcast, and that's what this is about. That's the approach and that's the direction that he wants to go in. He wants to focus on healing and we know that we need it. So kudos to Biden and Kamala Harris. Congratulations. All right. So it is time to dive into the topic for today. And the topic for today is surviving to thriving, from surviving to thriving. And this is going to be a high level overview of the Black Mental Wellness Virtual Conference. So this is going to be a recap of a virtual conference that I attended. And I it was such a great conference. I just really wanted to talk about it and share some of the highlights with you all and some of the takeaways that I received. 
black mental wellness. Like who is black mental wellness? What is black mental wellness? So you can go to blackmentalwellness.com and I'm going to just talk about who they are. Black Mental Wellness is a corporation founded by clinical psychologists who, through their training and expertise, recognize the need for culturally competent professionals to collaborate and address mental health issues that are prevalent and unique to the experience of Black people. They are passionate about addressing mental health and wellness concerns specific to the Black community, and their team has a diverse range of education and specialized training to meet that task. So it's a team of four Black women. The president and CEO is Nicole L. Kamick, PhD. The vice president is Daniel Busby, PhD. The well, she's the vice president of professional relations and liaison. Then you have the vice president of community outreach and engagement, which is Dana L. Cunningham, PhD. And then the vice president of program development and evaluation, which is Jessica S. Henry, PhD. So it's four women who put this company together and it's just, it's just phenomenal. When you go to their website, they have resources, uh, coping and wellness, conference and research, spotlights, things that you can shop and buy. So you should definitely check out their website. So as far as this conference, I just, it just started following their page not too long ago on Instagram. And then I saw a posting about it and I got a ticket to attend it. I really didn't know what to expect. It's my first time attending one of their conferences. So I, I definitely had an open mind, didn't know what to expect. And I must say that they really exceeded my expectations. I didn't really have any particular expectation, but I was just pleasantly surprised that it was so well put together. And um, the panels, the people that they chose on the panels were awesome. It was very enlightening and it was just a wealth of information. So I was definitely pleased and I would definitely attend another one of their conferences in the future. The conference was broken down into multiple sessions. So I just wanted to give a high level overview of the different sessions that I, that I attended. I didn't even attend all of the sessions because they had some, I think, that were at like course, like um, simultaneously at the same time. So I didn't attend all of them, but the ones that I did attend were amazing. I'll share some highlights. The first session was titled Surviving to Thriving. And that was a panel of four women. The first session was with Jessica Jackson, Nicole Kamet, Danielle Busby, and Thea Monier-Winkle. They all shared a lot of information and it was it was very enlightening. But one of the takeaways that I got from Thea, which I just thought was really amazing, is that she was talking about using joy as a metric. And one of her quotes was as followed. She says, joy as a metric. If it doesn't bring me joy, don't do it. In order to know what brings you joy, you have to be embodied. And when she said that, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. If it doesn't bring you joy, she doesn't do it. You know, and, and in my mind, I'm like, okay. 
in a perfect world, (laughs) I mean, that would be awesome if I only did things that brought me joy, you know. But when you really think about it, sometimes you don't even really know all the things that bring you joy. Um, And I think that's really what she was aiming at. The simple fact that when we're not fully connected with ourselves, we may not always know what brings us joy. And there's definitely some truth to that because I can recall like in my earlier days when I was doing my therapy sessions, I remember one of the tasks that my therapist gave me was to kind of journal and write down like things that I enjoy doing, things that bring me joy so that I can kind of lean towards doing that more often. And to be quite honest with you, like I struggle to make that list as far as like hobbies and things, you know what I mean? That I just wanted that I like focusing on that just brings me joy. And what I was realizing is that I just really wasn't prioritizing myself like that. Um, I never really took the time to focus on what brings me joy, especially also, you know, as a mom, you know, working a full-time job, you know, as a spouse, you you have so many other things going on in your life. You don't always put yourself first in that regard. So, you know, I could probably rattle off more quicker, like what brings my kids joy or like what brings my spouse joy more so than I was able to for myself. So I thought that that was really interesting um, how she was talking about joy and using joy as a metric, as a gauge when you're making decisions on what you choose to do. And then she also talked about self-authorization, like returning to your own body and embodiment. And so she was talking about like dancing and yoga and being in nature and like doing grounding techniques and things like that, that I guess help reconnect you to yourself. The term is embodiment. I know there's a lot of truth to that as well, as far as just the healing power of dance and yoga and things of that nature. So definitely that's something that I would like to do more often. And then she kind of spoke about like when storing trauma in your body, the importance of that embodiment. So like the yoga and the dance and things like that. So because trauma can show up physically in your body. And I, and I talked about that once before in a previous episode, how especially like unprocessed trauma, that's the key. Unprocessed trauma can show up in our bodies as chronic illness. Um, and so to combat that, she was talking about the importance of, you know, doing things like yoga and, and grounding work and things of that nature. So I thought that that was really enlightening and good information. So that was one of the takeaways from that first session. Um, And then they also talked about, you know, as a therapist, the importance of healing like with your client. I think that was also kind of more geared towards maybe like oppression and like racial trauma and things of that nature. But just the importance of therapists of color also doing their own inner work and their own healing work, which also makes their clients more comfortable with them just to know that they're being their authentic selves and that they're, they feel seen and they feel understood because they feel like their therapist kind of understands their life stressors just in general um, as a person of color. So 
that was um, that was really good to hear because I know sometimes you can struggle with finding the right therapist. And then when you do find someone, just struggle with feeling like, okay, this person is aligned with me. Um, I have a connection with this person and I feel comfortable opening up. So I thought that was really good as well. The next session that I attended was called Navigating College Student Mental Health and Well-Being. Obviously, I'm not a college student. I'm well past that phase. (laughs) But I wanted to attend that just to gain a better understanding of what young adults are going through, you know, these days and what are their stressors and what are they doing, you know what I mean, to um, take care of their mental health and and self-care in general and what are some of the challenges that they're experiencing. I was interested in hearing that information from them and getting that feedback. On that panel, it was four women and then there was one gentleman on that panel And there were like two students um, from Spelman that I believe are seniors. And then there was another student. It was just specified that she went to a predominantly white school. And then there was Kalichi Fluit. I'm not sure if I pronounced her name correctly, but she is, I think, a counselor at Howard University. They were just talking about the challenges that college students face and so two of the students from Spelman obviously they were they were female and um they were talking about like that strong black woman syndrome as one of the challenges that they deal with um sometimes they feel like they can't share their struggles they might feel like they're not living up to expectations and things of that nature which also kind of led into the imposter syndrome I don't know if you've ever heard of imposter syndrome, but it's just one of those things where, you know, you you kind of start doubting yourself. You could have done all these things and you've achieved all these things and you have all these accomplishments and then you may reach a certain level of success. And then for whatever reason, you feel like you don't belong there or you feel like you're an imposter, basically, like whether it's in your career or academically and things like that. So they touched upon imposter syndrome and some of the things that they do to try to combat that. So they talked about, you know, having a good support system and then also just taking a step back and looking at what you've accomplished to kind of just reassure yourself and affirm yourself and build yourself up. And then obviously it helps if you do have a great support system that also recognizes you and your achievements and things like that. But ultimately, you know, it starts with you. So just really learning how to affirm yourself and build yourself up is definitely a good way to combat that imposter syndrome. And just knowing that you deserve to be where you are, like you, you've you earned that seat at the table, you deserve to be there. So definitely just do your best to to try to just shake off those negative thoughts. Then also one of the questions was, you know, what challenges are students facing in 2020? So obviously COVID was one of the things that they mentioned. They also talked about virtual learning and how taxing that could be. 
and then the shift to like finishing their college senior year online, which is not what they expected. Then also just the pressure. They say now that a lot of people are saying a bachelor's degree is just like a new high school diploma. So there's pressure to go on and get all these higher degrees and just the post-grad experience. So the stress and anxiety associated with the post-graduation experience. And I felt for them when they were saying that, because if, you know, just thinking back to like when I was in school, it's like, you know, how much work you put into being there and then you're right at that finish line. And then now it's like, oh, okay, you got to do everything online. And it just looks different. You know, they don't know if they may may even walk across the stage, um, not seeing your friends and all of that. That's definitely got to be challenging. So I commend them for using their voice to talk about that and just expressing themselves. So I definitely have a lot of empathy towards them for what they're experiencing right now with um, being a college student. Then they also talked about what impact does microaggressions have on Black students? And I was like, oh, you know, that's that's interesting. Like, that's a good question. So um, one of the women we're talking about in school when like a professor says things that could be considered a microaggression in class, what does that do to your mental health? What does that look like? How does that make you feel when you don't feel like you're in an inclusive environment and you're just there trying to get your education and better yourselves? That's a challenge. And that definitely could have an impact on your mental health. So, you know, those are some of the concerns and things that came up. And as solutions, you know, they were saying that, you know, some of these institutions should really invest in training their staff um, so that they can be more aware and conscious of things like microaggressions um, so that, you know, they don't have a negative impact. They're there to train and educate. And then, oh yeah, back to COVID concerns, the ones from HBCUs, they were concerned about like, will their school even be around like after this pandemic? Like if they had to close their doors and shut down for a while because they don't have that much funding, like will they even survive? Will they be able to continue to function if the economy doesn't bounce back quickly? And then they just talked about campus resources, utilizing counseling services on campus, being proactive with counseling, even if you're not in like a crisis or a dark place, the importance of utilizing therapy and counseling as preventative care, and even just utilizing your counselor kind of like as a mentor. And then also if you're not comfortable to take that first step to go to therapy on campus, get a support system. You know, they were talking about like going with a friend for the first session until they get comfortable. So it was just really refreshing just to hear the young people talk about that and and what they're doing to invest in their mental health and take care of themselves. So that was one session. And then the next session that I attended was titled Relationships in the Black Community. And on that panel was Dr. Candice Nicole, Erica Street, Romal Toon, Keith Maskell, and um, Tariq Walton. And it was 
another really great session talking about relationships. And one of the things was what impact does your family of origin have on your communication skills? I thought that was an interesting question because the conversation was about how, especially now in quarantine and with the pandemic and people being home with one another, like 24 seven, like the impact that has been having on um, relationships and marriages and things of that nature. It was brought up that openly communicating was important, like especially when you're stressed and overwhelmed and the importance of asking for what you want from your partner. Don't assume that they know. After that, you know, the question was raised, well, what impact does your your family have on your communication skills? So some people just really don't have great communication skills. They weren't really raised in an environment where communicating was something that they did. You know, some people were kind of conditioned that communication was like a weakness. And so I guess there was probably a lot of sweeping things under the rug and just maybe suppressing your feelings and things of that nature. Obviously, now, if you're in a marriage or um, a relationship with someone, you know, communication is key. So the process of unlearning that and trying to move forward in a healthy way and learning new communication skills. So that was one of the things that came up. And then also how your family of origin usually influences your attachment style. So um, whether your attachment style is like anxious or avoidant, that may have a lot to do with the way that you are raised. So again, just kind of taking a look at some of the conditioning that we have and doing that work to unlearn it and then replace that with new skills. Another question that came up was, can being too open or sharing too much personal trauma with your spouse be unhealthy? And that was like a question in the chat room. And I thought, you know, wow, that's a good, that's a good question. Some of the responses that were given was, no, it's not that it would necessarily be unhealthy, but maybe just be specific and have a, a particular angle when you are sharing it, maybe sharing it and then being open to doing the healing work that would need to come along with the trauma because your spouse, you know, or significant other, they're not your therapist. They're not a therapist. So they may not ha have the tools or be equipped to really talk you through that process. You know, they may love you and, and want to be there to support you, but they may not know how. So, you know, it's important to not have maybe like an unrealistic expectation of your partner on how you want them to respond when you share your traumas with them. So just keeping that in mind. So yes, it's healthy to share because, you know, if you're in a close relationship, you know, that's going to be that person there that's going to be championing you to move forward with your healing journey. So you definitely want to make them aware of what you're dealing with, but maybe just not expect them. Don't just leave it at that, you know, because you're still going to want to take another step and get help and start healing. 
And then also it was stated that, you know, your wounds are where we need love to show up. So again, you know, I think it's important, especially in a marriage to share um, because it, it'll have an impact on your emotional connection with one another. You know, you can feel when when one another is guarded, you can feel it. So, you know, definitely share. And then we talked about just giving each other grace and compassion, extending grace and compassion to your significant other. When you're at work or in other environments, we tend to be more understanding and flexible and compassionate towards people, especially, you know, if they make a mistake, we give them, you know, room for error. And then we come home. And then if it's our spouse, it's like, we don't really give them that grace. This is like, you just need to be perfect and you need to be on point all the time, you know, and you don't really have room to make mistakes. So just learning how to extend more grace to our significant other. And then not taking their autonomy away, like not trying to control everything and just, you know, giving them space to make mistakes and not holding it against them. And another highlight was talking about chasing and hustling. It was stated that thriving requires releasing the idea of chasing something. You don't have to chase it. You just need to believe you're worthy right now to receive it and start anticipating it. So they're talking about like, you know, ambitions and dreams and that that go-getter mindset, that hustle mentality, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing, but when you just are focused on chasing and hustling, the assumption is that like there's just not enough for everybody. You know, if that's the mindset, then, you know, that could generate some negative energy, some toxic energy. So just being mindful of that and knowing that, you know, like your gift will make room for you. Like if that's what you're supposed to be doing, that's your purpose. That's what you were called to do. Then just be open to receiving that and have it manifest. But, you know, you don't have to be so fixated on on this grind that we always talk about. Another aspect of that session that just came to mind. So there were two men on that panel and I thought it was really honorable that, um, you know, they were sharing because you don't see that often with men. It's usually us women that are sharing. But, you know, they were talking about childhood trauma and how that can show up in adulthood and have, I guess, like a negative impact on affection and intimacy, like knowing what that looks like outside of sex or just not even being affectionate, you know, it's just struggling in that area, like affection outside of just sex. They're, you know, sharing information about that. And I thought that that was definitely awesome that they were willing to, to speak on that because it's a thing, you know what I mean? And just the importance of unpacking childhood trauma in therapy um, and processing it because, you know, it will show up in your adult life and have impacts on your relationships. And that was really important. All right. And so another session I attended was called Addressing Maternal Health. On that panel was Tiana Diggs, Rosalie Zuniga, Valon Alford, and Jody Horton. And I believe Jody is 
a gynecologist or OBGYN. They were just talking about high-risk pregnancies, postpartum depression, things that you should expect from your doctor, just in expecting more from your doctor, expect more from your doctor and ask questions, Googling your diagnosis so that you're educated on it and that, you know, when you go back to the doctor, you can ask them more questions about your diagnosis. Don't just get a diagnosis and then leave and you're confused, like you have no idea and you're just kind of left stressed and trying to figure out what's really going on with you. So if you don't understand a diagnosis, don't be afraid to like speak up and ask questions because you're entitled to ask questions and it's part of their job to make you understand what's going on with yourself and your health. So don't be afraid to ask questions. And then they talked about how a lot of mental conditions you can experience like after pregnancy and and not just um, postpartum depression. Like, so after you give birth, you can just be going through different things and just not feel like yourself, you know? And I mean, as a mom of three, I can definitely relate to that. What was interesting is that, you know, they were saying that a lot of times, like it can just be triggered by your experience, your childbirth, and then just being pregnant and all the different changes that your body goes through your mind, your mental health is impacted by pregnancy as well. So after you give birth, if you're past like that postpartum stage and you still don't feel right, like, you know, there could be something else going on there that may have been triggered by the pregnancy. So just taking the time to explore that and, you know, get the extra help that you need because you never know what you're dealing with. They also talked about the importance of creating a birth plan to like alleviate stress. So like if stress and anxiety. So if you're going to be a new mom and you're just going through it, you know, you're just anxious about your delivery and all that's going to come along with it. Something that you can do to be proactive is to just literally like write out a birth plan um, and what steps that you're going to take from start to finish just to kind of help ease your mind and put you at ease. So that would be really helpful. And just the importance of self, things like things that can come up after like the PTSD, anxiety and depression, you know, the importance of just really taking care of yourself, not only for the child, but for you. Even if you're breastfeeding and all that, yes, you want to take care of yourself or your child, but just the importance of not losing yourself. And then they talked about you know, systemic racism in the medical field and in the hospitals with these providers. You know, it's unfortunate, but it's just something that we can't overlook because a lot of us, you know, are impacted by that. So um, they talked about how sometimes providers don't know how to deal with Black women after giving birth. So it's important that, you know, you have a strategy and that you don't solely rely on what they're telling you do your own research, find resources and things of that nature. And, you know, if you want to take the route of getting like a doula, they talked about the importance of that and just inclusion, like, you know, wanting to have providers that look like you, you know, representation matters so that you feel comfortable. And it was a real good conversation. And they also talked about how we don't really have villages anymore, you know, after like, especially like if you're from like the islands or different parts of 
Africa, it looks different. Like <laughs> people have like helpers and things, you know, after you give birth, like you have a support system, you have people around you to help you. But, you know, in this country, in the United States, it's structured very differently. And sometimes, you know, you've moved away from family and things like that. So after you have a child, sometimes you're on your own, just figuring out, okay, I got to build now a support system. I got to figure this out. It may not look like what I wanted it to look like, but figure that out. And then how it starts with you, you know, you're your first support system. So, and I thought that was really important. This also came up, which I thought was really good because I need to do better in this area. And it was talking about allowing kids to see us experience a full range of emotions and witness us get help. So whether it's like even just crying in front of your your kids, that's something that I don't usually do. If I need to cry, I'll go away. I'll go to another room or something like that. And I, I try not to show that emotion in front of my kids. And, and I was really trying to figure out like why. And I just, for some reason in the back of my mind, I think that if I let them see my emotion, that I'm going to scare them or frighten them. And I think that's because like I had an experience with my eldest son um, when he was really young. And I don't remember the details of what I was going through, but I remember I just broke down like crying. I And it was just the two of us. And I just was crying like hysterically. I was crying so hard. Like I forgot he was even in the room. He might've been like three or four years old. And I forgot he was even in the room. And I just started crying. And then I guess because he's never seen me, he had never seen me cry before. And it just scared the crap out of him. I mean, he just started bawling. He started crying so hard and he started crying and it just like frightened me. And I was like, oh, and I just like snapped out of it. Like I had to like get myself together and pull myself out of it and get myself under control because I didn't want to frighten him. And so once I kind of stopped crying and told him it's going to be okay, then he, you know, was okay. And I think that may have scarred me a little bit because now it's like, Ever since then, truthfully, if I have to cry, like I would try to like not do it in front of my kids. But they, you know, they made a good point that it's good for children to see us show emotion and to let them know that it's okay for them to have emotions and process things. And then if you need to get help, get help or, you know, just comfort yourself or whatever, you know, your process looks like. But showing them that, being that example. So, that was a takeaway for me. I'm not going to just walk around crying in front of the kids all the time. But if I feel like I need to cry, I'm not going to be intentional about not doing it in front of them. Like if they happen to be around, like I'm not going to hide that from them. I want them to be able to see that it's okay. So that was huge for me. And then the last session I attended just um, was titled Thriving in the Black Community. That panel had Amber Hewitt, Portia Richardson, Brielle Mabry, Dana Cunningham, and Jessica Henry. And oof, this was an amazing session, just packed with information. So kudos to truthfully everyone that they had on these panels. These people are just really intelligent and they just were really passionate about what they do. And it was really a good mix of 
people that actually are like licensed therapists that work in the field. And then also people that are just like mental health and wellness advocates like, like myself, people that are just recipients of therapy and the process and that have grown so much and, you know, just have been unconditioning and learning new skills and strategies and things. So being able to hear from everyone and, and them sharing their perspectives, I think that also added to why it just felt so well-rounded. So anyways, um, in this session, they were just talking about like the journey to self-care and what they've been doing. So some of the things that came up was knowing when and how to say no and how to like pull the plug on things that no longer serve you and that self-care is not selfish. Using your employee assistance program at work to get therapy sessions. Um, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And just moving away from that strong black woman phenomenon, you know, that you can't be vulnerable, you can't this, you can't that, you have to be superwoman and wear a cape all the time, which is not realistic, but that's the pressure that we put on ourselves. And so just moving away from that mindset. And so um, a question was, you know, what does it mean to start thriving? And these are some of the things that were shared. Critical consciousness, um, just knowing that you're not the cause of the oppression that you experience and just how, you know, when our needs are not being met as a community, like it's hard to start thriving. Um, so when your basic needs aren't even being met, like food, water, clothing, shelter, you know, some of like just the basics that some people literally are dealing with, those those basic needs are not being met for everyone. So it's like to jump to already trying to thrive, it's like, well, we gotta we gotta take care of some of this basic stuff first. So that was something that came up and just being intentional about supporting each other and stop begging for a seat at the table. Oof. The importance of creating our own tables, you know, and I oof, I just felt that one because, you know, we all experience it at some point or another. It's exhausting. You do get tired of feeling like you constantly need to prove yourself and prove that you deserve a seat at this table. So sometimes you just get to that point where you don't want to beg for a seat at the table and you want to create your own table. So, you know, that's definitely um, something that came up and I can totally understand and agree with that. And then just surviving and thriving financially, no longer living paycheck to paycheck, setting goals of like generational wealth and just redefining like what success looks like. Because a lot of times we'll just define it as, OK, so you have a nice car, you have a nice house, you know, you go on va nice vacations, you have designer bags and shoes, so you're successful, but financially and on paper, it's not really looking like that. So like when it comes to like sending your kids to college now, then your kids got to take out student loans for school and start off in debt. And it's like, well, hmm, that doesn't really look right. So just redefining, you know, what financial success really looks like and just doing our due diligence on that. Um, you know, yes, oppression, you know, has a role to play, but there's also a lot that we can do ourselves to just you know, take more responsibility for our finances and just get ourselves together in that area. And um, ooh, this was a good one that came up. It was talking about life insurance 
And they talked about getting life insurance on like young people. And this was just like a conversation that was being had. And I guess it started outside of this conference and somebody put it in the chat room. But the importance of getting like life insurance on young people, especially the people that police try to target, like young black men. And if they had more life insurance policies on them, you know, if the police continue to just, you know, kill or use excessive force when not necessary. And, you know, these young men are just dying at these alarming rates. But every time that happened, they had like a million dollars, say life insurance policy attached to them. And these insurance companies now have to pay out this money. Then perhaps (laughs) we don't know, but perhaps there might be a shift in that whole process, that whole thought process, because now there would be a, a, a negative financial impact. And then maybe those corporations could push for more um, police reform, you know, and things of that nature. So it's just a thought, you know, and it's unfortunate that we have to even think like that. But it's just our reality, unfortunately. But, it, you know, it was a good point, though. You know, you just never know. We usually think that it's for us older people or, you know, if your parents and stuff, you want to make sure that you know, you're set up for your children, but it's just an idea. Maybe it should become more normal to actually get insurance on your, you know, on younger people. So just a thought and they threw that out there. So yeah, those are basically the highlights. There was more things that were discussed, obviously, but those are some of the takeaways that I just documented. So again, I truly enjoyed the conference. I really like what Um, the Black Mental Wellness Organization is doing. And they're definitely a good resource. So I would definitely recommend going to their website, blackmentalwellness.com. And then you can also go to their Instagram page, um, which is at Black Mental Wellness. That's all I had for today for this episode. Hope you found it helpful. And I will put that information in the show notes so that you can connect to their website if you want to get in touch with me you can email me at healinggrowjourneypodcast at gmail.com and then you can also connect with me via instagram at healinggrowjourney all right take care until next time